0: Porn Apart, as we read Romans chapter 7 here, as the Apostle Paul is speaking of how life is for him, how he struggles, I think we can each hear our own stories within the context of this scripture in Romans seven fifteen through 25. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I want. But I do know the very thing that I hate. I do it. And now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing." Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. When I was growing up as a child, I remember when I was fairly young, watching this movie at at home on TV. uh, And it really kind of frightened me, creeped me out. And the name of this movie, and I would later read the book, is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. For those of you who are not familiar with it, there are two primary characters. Dr. Jekyll, who is the good, the moral, the respectable, the esteemed doctor of the community. And then there's this guy, Mr. Hyde, who is the exact opposite of what everybody thinks Dr. Jekyll is. He is depraved. He's corrupt. He, his very presence looks evil. He is impatient, he is unkind, he's rude. It seemingly looks like he's the opposite of this fine gentleman, Dr. Jekyll. But in reality, as the story goes on, we find that in actuality they are one and the same person. You see, Dr. Jekyll is a physician, and he's also a scientist. And he struggles with these urges and these pains, and every once in a while he gives in to them, but he wants to maintain his reputation. He wants to maintain his wholesome outlook and personification amongst the community. And so he searches, and he experiments, and he finally devises this potion that will enable him that when he drinks this potion, it transforms him into this Mr. Hyde person, Now, the etymology of the word hide, H-Y-E-D-E, comes from the word we know, hide. It's his hidden self. It's his shadow or his dark side, so to speak. And so, Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, sometimes, some evenings, and soon it becomes very regularly on evenings, he will take some of that potion and it will transform him into Mr. Hyde. And he will go out into the city and he'll live the way that he kind of secretly desires he could live if no one ever knew. He does it and pretty soon Mr. Hyde has this reputation of being an evil man, an unlikable and a reprehensible human being. One evening as he is returning back, he knocks down a young girl and steps upon her. And the crowd is outraged and they circle around him. And they demand that he that he give her retribution, that he pay for her medical care and pay her family. So he agrees to do so, but he goes into Dr. Jekyll's house and said, I'll be right back in a moment. They stand and they watch and they guard outside thinking that surely he won't come back with anything from the good Dr. Jekyll. But in fact, he comes back with 10 pounds and a check written for 90 pounds, and he presents the young girl and her family 100 pounds. A friend of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Utterson, who's his attorney, begins to be concerned. and He notices that Mr. Hyde is going to Dr. Jekyll's house quite often. And after a party one night, he confronts Dr. Jekyll and begins to ask him about Mr. Hyde and what his relationship to him and how are they so connected and Dr. Jekyll immediately becomes defensive and even presents him with his will in which he has changed his will to include that should anything happen to him, all of his estate would then be given to Mr. Hyde. Mr. Utterson is very disturbed by this, but Dr. Jekyll tells him that he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Well, as time goes on, as he begins to drink that potion more and more, and each night, night after night, soon he begins to lose control. And one night, Mr. Hyde on the way back home runs into an older man and knocks him down and then kills him. There's a woman watching uh, from within the, the apartment building next door, and he, she sees specifically who it is. She recognized him as the reprehensible Mr. Hyde. And so she turns him into the police, and the police come looking for him. And finally they come to Dr. Jekyll's house and they begin to look and they say, was he here? He said, yes, he was here, but he's gone and he will never return. I'm cutting off all relationships with Mr. Hyde. And so Dr. Jekyll goes for months without any relationship to Mr. Hyde, without seeing or speaking or, or having any experience with him, out at that transformation. And then one day he one night he just has allergies, takes a little bit, but he decides not to. But during the night, he turns into Mr. Hyde. And much to his horror, he recognizes now he can't stop it. He has just a little bit of the potion to take him back, but then he takes the remainder of it. And he knows this will be the last time that he can ever keep himself from being Mr. Hyde. And so he writes out a letter and says that should he die or something to happen, he tells the truth of what has transpired and what has happened. And sure enough, some of the, some of the uh, people who live there in that apartment and some of the people that work for Dr. Jekyll hear that voice, and they hear it's Mr. Hyde. They alert the authorities. They alert, alert Mr. Utterson. <clears throat> they come and they break in, and they find Mr. Hyde dead but clothed in Dr. Jekyll's clothes. When they read the letter, they discover that this was one man and the same. There was the side that was moral, so to speak, or at least sought to be, Dr. Jekyll, and then there was the immoral, the dark side of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You know, the Bible tells us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It makes it pretty clear that we've all sinned and we all have a dark side, but the Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that God has written upon our hearts, even, even those who don't know him, that there is a right and wrong. They understand there is a rightness and a wrong. It's, it's been written into our code, into our DNA. So we all have a sense of what is right and we all have a sense of what is wrong. We all have that shadow self and that light self. But here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ came not to just save your dark side but also your light side, your moral side. It would be wrong of us to think, if I could just get rid of that darkness in my heart, just separate myself, much like Dr. Jekyll did, then I can be righteous and whole before God. But the truth of it is, none of us are righteous. And some of us need to be saved from our self-righteousness, that we think we're good enough. The Bible said there are none righteous. No, not one. So the first truth of the gospel is we must be saved both from our righteousness and our unrighteousness. But recognize this, when we accept Christ, it doesn't mean that dark side is removed from us forever. No, in fact, it's been dealt an immortal blow that one day it will die, but it is a slow death process. It's always there and it's always wanting you to feed it so that it can be Renewed and become renewed and restored. And that's the story that we see here as we see the Apostle Paul speaking here. In uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message, I want to read to you the remaining part of this passage in verse 21 through 25. It happens, Paul speaking here in the present tense. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I am at the end of my rope. Is, is there no one who can do anything for me? isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does, and he acted to set things right in in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and my mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Paul understands this And in our culture today, there's a potion that people are continually drinking. Matter of fact, now statistics tell us that most adults view pornography monthly. If you get to that age of 18 to 30, it's near 80% of those who are 18 to 30 have a regular pornography habit. It's a potion that our culture is drinking, and it's poisonous, and it's feeding the dark side of our souls. So what are we to do about this? How are we to handle it? Well, Brian's going to talk to you very specifically about that in a moment, but I want us to look at this biblically. First of all, I think it's important for for us to understand there's something called the doctrine of simultaneity. The doctrine of simultaneity. What does that mean? It means this. Martin Luther said it in Latin in this manner. Simul justus et Peccator. Simil eustis et peccator. What does that mean? It means that we are, once we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are simultaneously justified and righteous. We are seen as righteous before God Almighty, not because we've become good, but because of what Christ has done for us. Yet we still sin we are simultaneously righteous and sinners. That nature still dwells within us. Even though it has been wounded, even though it will eventually die, it still exists. So we must recognize that. Recognize that spirit that seeks to still kill and destroy. It all started in the garden, and we still deal with the same thing. The evil one, Satan, comes to what? First to tempt us. We see that through the fruit. That was the picture the garden was giving us. Here's a fruit, something that, I, I, that, that appeals to me, something that appeals to my eyes, to my flesh, to my taste. And there's that temptation, that first scheme of Satan that he throws at us. The second one is deception deception. How do people fall in pornography? They're tempted, and then they're deceived. It's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. It won't hurt. I can quit anytime I want. What's the problem? We begin to listen to the deception, to the one who is a deceiver, the one who is the liar, the accuser of the brethren, which leads us to rebellion. That's what happened in the garden. The fruit Deception, the rebellion. we still live with it today, the fruit, whether it's pornography or something else, we're drawn to it. We're lured to it. The dark side pulls us that way. And then we start to deceive ourselves. Well, I just want to get to know a little bit more. Let's just try just a little bit. and then sin is birth, and we enter into that spirit of rebellion in that spirit of sin. And if we're not careful, we're completely captured. But we do have salvation. Right there at the end, in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, Paul said, O wretched man that I am. He's confessing, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. I confess, O Lord, that I am a sinner, that I am a wretched man. Who can save me? from these temptations? Who can save me from this sin? He has to surrender, and he said, my Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, I surrender to you, O Lord. I surrender my heart, my soul, my mind. I am not going to simply try to live by the law, just try to be good enough, just try to be a Dr. Jekyll. I recognize the propensity in my heart to sin, And I commit, my Lord, I surrender to you. I'm willing to confess. I'm willing to be a part of a group. I'm willing to do, Lord, whatever I need to do. I surrender myself so that I might worship you as my Lord and Savior. I want to invite our marriage minister, Brian Sanders, to come at this time and to give you some additional facts to
1: understand. Thank you, Ron. You know, when I... uh... When I think about the topic of pornography, I'm often reminded of a poster that hung in our break room when I worked in Alaska up on the North Slope. And it was a picture of a polar bear. And the the caption said, be afraid. Be very afraid. And the more that I, I learn about the science, about how pornography is impacting our brain, the more afraid of pornography I've become. That bird preached a sermon here just a few weeks ago, about sin, and he said, Bringing sin into your life is like bringing a little baby lion or perhaps a bear into your home. And that thing that you know you believe that you control, at some point, it turns on you. It's like this little Eskimo trying to ride this polar bear. We all know that at some point, this story right here, it's not going to turn out well. And so it is with pornography. It's become a massive problem for men. It's a growing problem for women. And so this morning, we want you to know we're speaking to both men and women when we're talking about this issue of of pornography. So this morning, I want to touch on two things. The first is, so what can pornography do to you personally? And what can it do to your relationships? One young adult pastor that has a very large congregation down the road said that, Dealing with pornography addiction is the number one thing he has to focus on today. When we're doing premarital counseling here at Rock Point, it is rare not to see pornography use with the man, and increasingly, we're seeing it more and more with women. One study just recently showed that 68% of young men and 18% of young women are viewing porn at least once a week, which causes me to stop for a moment and just say this. Young ladies, those of you that are not married, if the man you're planning on marrying, if they're involved in porn, do not marry them until they're free from porn for an extended period of time. I'm telling you as a marriage pastor, it's going to cause a problem in your marriage. So go ahead and address it right now. The porn that uh, we're talking about today, it's not the same as yesterday's Playboy. Access to Today's porn is much different. You know, in the past, actually, pornography was limited to minors. But today it's available online for free, 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year, in the privacy and secrecy of your home. And it's that environment which is the fuel for addiction. The content is different as well. It's often much more hardcore. It contains... Violence and verbal aggression towards women. And now, study after study is beginning to show, and it's going to change the way that you tend to see women. The science now, actually, on porn has become massive. Here are just a few select headlines from some of the scientific and medical studies that have been done, and and they're all showing and saying the same thing. They're saying that porn is rewiring our brains just like it does to an alcoholic or to a drug addict. I listened to the testimony of a very popular pastor and he was talking about his pornography use and I'm quoting here. Here's what he said. He said, I've done ecstasy, cocaine, alcohol, heroin, and smoked marijuana, and nothing has gripped my heart like porn. It owned me. Because what's happening in your brain, when you view porn and you act on it, is your brain remembers. It remembers a connection, a connection between a trigger and a chemical release. And it's that connection that causes a craving. It's much like what happens when an alcoholic might see a beer commercial. The brain says, hey, that right there, that, that produces pleasure. Do it. Summed up, pornography can become a drug addiction. Um, No, I'm not talking about heroin. I'm talking about the drugs that God designed, the drugs that are in our brain, the neurochemicals that impact you in a way that God did not intend. In Genesis chapter 2, it says at the end of the first wedding, and the two shall become one. And that's a, a reference in part to the intention that God wants a married man and a married woman to come together and have sex. And when you do, it releases neurochemicals in in your brain, which causes pleasure. Neurochemicals like oxytocin. Mothers, you know about it. It causes you to bond with your baby. It causes you to bond with your spouse. Well, the same thing is happening when you're viewing pornography, except that you're bonding not with your spouse, but you're bonding with the equivalent of a digital prostitute. Well, Pornography ultimately is going to cause a shift. And here's the, the so what of it all. The so what of it is that it causes a shift from a relationship that produces a pleasure, as God intended, to the pleasure without the relationship. One neuroscientist, he said it this way, Internet pornography hyperactivates the exciting pleasure system of our brain by offering an endless harem of sexual objects and like rats in a cage pressing levers to get a dose of cocaine or heroin each successive click stimulates dose after dose of dopamine in the brain and our brains are ultimately rewired so let me just recap here how is porn impacting us personally well The science is really clear. The porn of today, it's very addictive. Secondly, it can rewire your brain. And third, it can alter your judgment. Study after study is showing your view of women will change. Let me talk a little bit about the other side of the coin. How's it impacting our relationships? Well, it certainly promotes selfishness. Your view of women is changing, not from a person so much as it is an object. And it's an object for your personal gratification. Young men, those of you that are not married, what that means to you is this. If you're using porn, you're killing your marriage before it ever starts. A marriage pastor talking about his own pornography use before he married, he said this. He said, porn nearly destroyed my view of women, marriage, and relationships. Because you're becoming addicted to a variety of of sexual partners, which as a marriage pastor, can I just tell you, that never works out well in marriage, ever. A counselor, we were talking about this, and, and, and they said, it really doesn't matter whether you catch your spouse in bed with someone else or a prostitute or viewing pornography. It's all seen as a sexual betrayal, which erodes the foundation of trust, which is necessary for every marriage. And so now, I'd like for you to hear from a couple that knows all too well how porn can impact a relationship. Cameron and Morgan Schmeitz have been married over seven years. Cameron leads a men's accountability group here at Rock Point. Morgan leads a group for women who have been negatively impacted by their husband's porn use. And so, guys, I just appreciate so much you being willing to come up and talk about a difficult subject and be vulnerable. Uh, Thank you. Let me just uh, throw some questions at you. I mean, so, porn, how has it impacted each of you personally? Um, Brian, I've looked
2: at pornography in various ways going all the way back to sixth grade. And, you know, I was never taught about the dangers of pornography um, I, I was actually it was actually joked about with friends, uh, family members, and even um, a pastor at another church I attended and so porn crept up on me over the years since that sixth grade you know grade school, high school, college dating, and eventually into marriage with Morgan and I can remember going months without looking at pornography, and I can remember using it daily for weeks on end. And the biggest thing is I was like, I am not an addict. I remember standing in this church singing, saying, this is the last day. And a week later, I'm watching pornography again. Um, so pornography for me, it was a crutch. It was a safety blanket. Um, it was a medication. And, you know, I believed that I had to be perfect, um, which is not a good thing. And I was really driven by performance. And so whenever... I didn't live up to the standard that I thought I had to uh, or I wasn't perfect. You know, I would turn to pornography for comfort. I would turn for it uh, whenever I was stressed or hurt or sad or any number of feelings. And that's not what the Lord wanted for me. I've I've learned that. that The Lord wants me to take all those feelings to him. Um, He wants me to take those feelings uh, to my wife, the partner that he gave me, um, so she can help me. So pornography... Um, was a huge impact
1: in my life unfortunately yeah. Morgan how about you? How about, how has it impacted you personally?
3: Um, well I never thought at first that it would be part of our story. If you would have bet us five years ago a million bucks that this would be a part of your story I would have bet you um, but it is and right when I found out I was exasperated because Cameron and me had been together for 14 years and so I found out about this about two years ago and so I was exasperated by the lying and the manipulation, something I didn't know about him. Um, It affected my relationship with God. I first was mad at God for not showing me sooner, um, but then realized that God did give it to me at the right point when I had a supportive church and um, support around me. Um, And then I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to talk to other people about something so intimate and not knowing how people would react. And then it also affected my self-esteem of just knowing I couldn't match up to anything Cameron had seen.
1: Hmm. How about your marriage? How has pornography impacted your relationship? Um, Brian, like
2: you said, porn is the worst thing for marriage. And like Morgan said, we, I was present in my marriage. Um, we communicated a lot. We spent a lot of time together. We thought we had a great relationship. But really what I was doing is I was sharing facts with Morgan. Um, I wasn't sharing with her vulnerably. I wasn't sharing with her intimately um, like God designed marriage to, to be. And I wasn't taking those, those feelings and, and sharing them with her as my partner. And, you know, porn really warped my uh, idea of sexual intimacy with my wife. Um, I did look at her more as an object. Um, I, uh, you know, it really warped my sense of how we were supposed to have sex. And through years and years of pornography, just like you said, Brian, uh, it created this impossible, impossible standard that Morgan couldn't live up to and shouldn't live up to and was a huge betrayal to her and um, was just awful and not fair. And I hate it. Morgan.
1: Morgan.
3: Um, Well, we both thought our marriage was good before all this came out. um, But Cameron working on the addiction part of it and us working on our marriage, it took a lot of hard work. But our marriage has increased by tenfold. It's been the best thing yet. Um, And we just this last week went through a miscarriage. And I can't imagine going through it um, before all this happened because we would have not been able to give each other grace, love our strengths and weaknesses, be humble to each other. And really be there for each other. So I I thank God for the experience because He helped us get through things that are ahead of us.
1: It was a tough journey, but it strengthened you. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So you both are involved in groups. A men's group, men's accountability group. Men that are trying to be clean, be pure, be holy. Women that have been impacted negatively by their spouse's porn abuse. So tell me, is there any hope from Hyde here? I mean, what are you seeing within your groups?
3: Well, I'll start. In the women's group, I see a number of things. I see women blame themselves. I see them try to control the situation. As women, we love control situations. And then I also see, sadly, men blame their um, wives for their addiction. Um, And then, you know, just as Jesus said, if you have lust in your eye, then you have committed adultery in your heart. And um, a lot of girls come thinking that it's, Why is, you know, that it's just porn? Why am I upset? This feels like I've been cheated on. And they have. And um, we, you know, empower them and support them, wrap um, God's arms around them. And then we use a book that really works on the triggers and the hurt and the betrayal and then getting beyond the betrayal.
1: Hmm. Cameron, what have you seen in your
2: men's group? Um, Two years ago, I started in our Conquer series and then moved on to our seven class, which are the two men's classes we have here, and through being in groups for two years, I've learned that, you know, a lot of our stories are similar, and that's not to say that if, you know, you you didn't get hooked early that you don't don't have an addiction. You don't want this in your life at all, Um, zero, and so, you know, a lot of our stories are are very similar because a lot of us, you know, got hooked early and uh, used porn to medicate uh, pain or trauma or hurt or loss, um, you know, a lot of family issues. And, um, you know, we hid that addiction because it's shameful. And um, But, Brian, that's what's also great about the group is you get in that group uh, of guys and you realize, hey, I'm not alone. And you start to peel back those layers of shame and you start to battle this um, with, with, with brothers And, you know, for me, uh, I had to put in the hard work, and I had to be very honest. But whenever uh, I'm battling with my brothers, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a winnable battle over pornography. And so today, I'm happy to share that two years ago, on this actual date, was the last day that I looked at pornography, and I... And, and I share that not as a brag because that was, you know, that was the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit and support and, um, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of not just me. But I share that as a hope that you can go from where I was, which was using it daily but not even thinking you were having, an, not being an addict, wasn't even on my radar, you know, um, to being free from this. You can have the freedom uh, of this not being a part of your life. You can have... Um, you know, the relationship with the Lord that He wants to have with you and, and the relationship with your wife and your family is called to you, and that freedom is amazing. And so we are just so thankful for Rock Point for, for talking about this and bringing it up. And Morgan and I are here. If anyone wants to talk or needs us, we just, we love y'all. And we, um, you know, our marriage is so much improved, our lives are so much improved, and we just want that for, for
1: everyone here. So thank y'all. Thank you guys. Well done. Thank you. I'll close with this because I've seen this over and over. When it comes to the subject of pornography, I know that there are two primary challenges that will cause some of you that have heard what we've been talking about today to not act. Shame and denial. If you're in denial, let me just encourage you, go to this website right here, Porn Apart. Be careful about what you're typing in, okay? And start reading, okay? Just educate yourself about what scientists and what doctors are saying about what's going on with your porn use. If you're using porn, whether you're a woman or a man, you may be thinking, I, I don't really have a problem. Let me assure you that it is impacting you personally, and it is impacting at a minimum your relationship with God. And it's going to be, if it isn't already, just a matter of time before it impacts your relationship with the other sex. And so let me make a challenge. You know, we often say about whatever it is that's got us is I could stop that any time. Take me up on it. Go cold turkey. Stop porn for 90 days and see what happens. Some of you, some of you are going to be able to. Some of you are going to need some help, some men to come alongside you. And encourage you, like Cameron. And Cameron's group is waiting for you. He's starting a new group in just a few weeks. And ladies, if you've been negatively impacted by your spouse's porn use, we would say, don't suffer in silence. Don't walk that road alone. Morgan has a group. And she's forming, waiting for you. And they'll be outside at the table with some more information as well, in addition to what's up here. And so, I would just say this. Don't just wait, act, do it today. Ron, come on up. Thank you, Brian.
0: If you would, let's let's pray together. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, and this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. I want to invite you to recognize your need for him, that we all have a Mr. Hyde and a Mr. Jekyll. In that uh, our goodness is not enough for a holy God, that we have to recognize we are all sinners and that we come before Him, recognizing that He is the God of the universe with the power to save and forgive. And whatever our sin may be, whatever our addictions may be, that He has the power to forgive and to restore. So, if you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to do that. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, but yet you find yourself addicted or struggling. Uh, with porn we want to help you we want to ask you to take that step this morning Uh, the bible says in the book of James in chapter five confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed if you are seeking healing you are not here by coincidence God gives healing but you must take the step you must surrender to him today we invite you to do that Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us through the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would draw men and women, boys and girls to you today. And God, I pray that you would set people free who are struggling, who are beset, who have been drinking the potion, who've been hiding it. Today is the day of freedom declares the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.
1: Amen.